Welcome to the Don't Die podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. All right, here we are. I'm Bob Forrest. There's Chuck Davis. Well, there we are. We got another hello, episode hello. of Don't Die. That's This is a podcast. Very self-explanatory. The whole message is in the title, Don't Die. It's a message to addicts. It's a, de- a message to addicts' moms. It's a message to the recovery industry. It's a plea and a cry to the 12-step world. We got too many kids dying, and all of us need to play a part in trying to lower the death rate in America. So my idea is just to educate the drug addicts. Listen, I don't expect you to stop using drugs. I just expect you not to die (laughs) until you start to contemplate not using drugs. Yes. Right? And Chuck and I are counselors, though I think my license has lapsed. (laughs) Well, if you haven't done anything in the last couple of years, it did. I, I have had this ongoing battle about my certification, actually, with the state of California almost since its inception. So I went to school in 2001 to 2003, right? Okay. Or no, 2000 to 2002, and then I was supervised in 2003. So I got licensed in March of 2003. I remember it because it's on my, my first certification. So at that time, KDAC was the big thing that you wanted, right? Right. They're still around. KDAC, KDAC was the Ferrari, the Cadillac of chemical dependency counselors. Everybody wanted to be KDAC. I found that KDAC's fees were very high, yeah. right? So it was like 560 every two years just to get your certification done then you they have continuing education units which all counselors have to do you have to go to these dumbass three-hour lectures about 44 every two every two years yeah yeah coming up for renewal and i had to do my 44 but did you but with the new organizations like katie or car i'm katie okay so you can take a lot of the free ones with katie right i did them i did them online oh you have to pay for them online Because you're lazy. Well, no, because there was only one way to be able to get 44 units in a six-month time period. I mean, otherwise you're having but you to have all two years. Time. You have to do two years to do it. Yeah, but you'd have to do one every weekend to get three credits for a for a seminar. Yeah, there's three per lecture. Yeah, and they're they're like, and they cost like sixty bucks to go. Yeah, but too. see, see, this is so, and this is for the counselors out there. So my main problem was I'm not really interested in the corny stuff that KDAC acts like they're continuing your education. You know what I mean? I was interested in really learning about addiction. So there's a thing called the Jungian Center on Olympic near near 20th Century Fox. And I became obsessed with that place. And I would go to all of the things like the archetype, the shadow self, all this Jungian psychology stuff, right? And they were continuing education units. And I would pay the $110 or the $85 and KDAC wouldn't accept them. 
right? And I was actually trying to become more knowledgeable in the space of addiction. But -hmm. since I wasn't going to how to deal with AIDS in the workplace seminars that they were doing, you know what I mean? Right. That KDAC was charging $50 for. I just went to battle with them. I'm like, I'm interested in really fucking heavy stuff. If this is good enough for marriage and family therapists, if this is good enough for psychologists, why isn't it good enough for drug and alcohol counselors right well and that was my big fallout with kdac so i switched to uh i forget what the one was you were a cdc ccdc right ccdc was another organization how do i know that about you and you don't I, I don't. No, I just know the story of it, right? The story of it's interesting. So that's when that's in so I was I was two years with KDAC or four years, I can't remember. But then I switched to CCDC, right? The, the certifying board in, in here in Los Angeles. And the woman um loved the fact that I was the guy on TV, the counselor on TV was mm-hmm. CCDC, right? And so, and then Shelly got CCDC when she, she was a tech and then she became a counselor, right? So she went through my organization, right? Okay. So about 2009, which is about three years into the TV show, um, Paula, the head of the board, wanted to re... She was a part of... Every every certifying board was a part of writing the new state test, right? The big... Cause ca- yeah. Because counselors were becoming a real thing, right? Mm-hmm. No, so yeah, yeah, so she wanted me to be on that board to rewrite the 500-question test. And I told you, and I'll t- tell to anybody who will listen, I'm lazy. And anything I don't <laughs> have to do, I don't want to do. But Shelly had just become certified, so then I thought... Uh, oh, Shelly should do it. So then she goes, she's like a type A personality. She takes everything serious. She goes to all the meetings. She was instrumental in the new test and all that kind of stuff, right? So, so then I had caught on. This is six years into my certification. I had caught on that you don't have to do any of your CEUs. You just have to let your license lapse and then retake the test. You might not have a certification for like a month, but it's retroactive. If you pass the test, then it goes back to the date, right? Oh. I'm, not, I'm not trying to cut corners. I'm not trying to teach other counselors how to be as lazy as me, but they charge like $580 to take the test. And you've got to pass it. And then by this time, I like, you know, I'm running the hospital. I think I know everything. So they pull it, they send me the brochure to to study for the test. The, yeah, the pretest. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm Bob Forrest. I don't need to fucking do that. <laughs> right? I like I, these things. I go in to take the test. There's literally two people who work for me taking the test. People that I know in the intake department at Promises Malibu. And uh, there's just like 30 people taking the test, right? And I'm just like, this is my third test I've taken. I fucking know this shit backwards and forwards. I'm Bob Forrest. I'm the guy on TV. So, 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 so I'm taking the test. And first the people who work for me are done and they leave. And I'm like, Jesus. And I'm struggling. These questions are fucking hard. Because they had redone the test. Of course. Right? Thank you, Shelly. Huh? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, much. So, so I'm like struggling. But at least the promises people are still there. Then about an hour and 45 into it, they're done. And they leave and they're kind of trying to be polite like, see you later, Bob. And I'm like, 
I'm there yeah. with like obviously the people that don't know the, the subject very well. Were you, right? like, were you like Jim on that taxi episode <laughs> yes. looking for answers? And I'm looking around just to see where people are. I'm on like question 280, and I'm looking to see how I'm looking at the people thinking that person's pretty dumb. I wonder if they're <laughs> I wonder if they're ahead of me. And I and I'd look down and they'd be on like question 400, and I'd be like, oh my fucking god! I swear to you. This is not a joke. It got down to me and the guy in the Braille machine. <laughs> oh, I swear to God. And then the Braille guy was done. <laughs> I used the entire test time and I guessed the last 30. <laughs> oh, no. So then I'm like, holy fuck, I'm not going to pass. You know, what happens if you don't pass? So... You know, and I'm, you know, like, because I'm lying at Los Encinas, right? They think I'm a certified counselor. I'm really not. Everything I'm signing is not legal. Oh, <laughs> Right? But I'm so confident that I could pass the test. And I, I was just like beside myself. I call... I call my partner at the time and I was like, I think I fucking failed. This test is so hard. Fuck Shelly. Fuck her. Who do these people think they are? You don't have to be this smart to be a chemical dependency counselor. Right? right? I mean, some, some of those things are like, really... So, so it's so funny. So then, like, I'm just freaking out. Like, and I'm like, and Drew knew I was, knew I was going to take the test and he was going to ask me on Monday. This on a Friday. He's going to ask me on Monday... So everything's cool, right? Because he kind of knew that I'm lazy. You were, you were you were floating a little bit. Yeah. yeah with your degree. I purposely was not signing a lot of intake documentation. Good. <laughs> right? So, so I'm freaking out. Like, what do I do? I got to take the test. And they only have the test like once a month or once every two months or something. I'm like, holy fuck, I'm not going to have a certification for four months or three months. So... Paula, the head of the fucking uh, certifying board, calls me at home on Friday night about 10 o'clock and goes, um, Robert, I just wanted to call you. I know it's very important to you and Dr. Drew. I just wanted to let you know that you did pass the test. Barely. That's what she said. She said, Robert, and she knew me too, pretty well. She goes, Robert, you didn't even look at the... <laughs> yeah, you didn't even look at the pamphlet we sent you. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm so sorry. Oh, thank you so much for calling me and telling me. So I get off the phone and I'm like, well, even not reading the pamphlet, even not studying, even with a new test that a bunch of brainiacs did, I passed, right? And, and my ex-wife Sam goes, how do you know that you really passed? You've been saying all afternoon that you failed. Now oh. Paula calls you to tell you she passed? I mean, she looked at your test. She, she cheated was, she was it. Was no, she cheated it because I, I was did. on the website. I was like the counselor <laughs> on the TV show. So this is the reenactment that Sam, my ex-wife, did of what happened. The, the girl <laughs> scoring my test went... Oh my God! Quick, somebody call, <laughs> call Mrs. Call Paula. Mm. The guy who's on the website failed. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, so she has to go into the other office to and say, Mrs. Torres. I mean, 
Bob Forrest has failed this test. I don't know what you want to do with it. And I hope that Paula just changed a few answers. She changed the 17% to 71. <laughs> so why I say this is because I'm not the smartest guy and I'm, not, I'm the laziest guy, but I'm a good counselor. And you, if you're out there and you're having troubles or you're scared, I remember when I was first a counselor, uh, the oral test was the scary thing, right? So you could, KDAC, you got, you could get a KDAC 1 was just a written test. And I did that. And I studied for that because I was like in school and I was focused on it, right? I wanted to learn. But the oral test, I was just too scared. You have to put a treatment plan together in front of them or something. Did you ever be in KDAC? No, I'm, I'm not a two. I'm a cat C1. Yeah, so, oh, is, is Katie have a two that you have to do an oral exam? The, the two, I've got a, uh, I think it's another 36 units and then additional testing, yeah. And you have to... It's a big and, deal to, be, to do it, too. Yeah, I just got scared to death. Like, And everybody kept telling me, no, Bob, you know this stuff. You could do it. And I was like, no. And then this person who worked for me who I was sure there's no way she's going to become a KDAC too there's no way <laughs> and she passed and so that inspired me like I and I scheduled I did because I, I had the units I I had college credits or whatever but I had the units but I or I could just only take the oral KDAC test and I'd be the KDAC too right and I scheduled it and I had the thing and I I got all scared and oh. I didn't go and I kept thinking, the only way I'm going to pass this oral test, because I guess there's three certifying board members that test you orally or something, right? They ask you a bunch of questions, you build a treatment plan or something. Anyways, I've never done it, but I've heard about it. So the only way I was convinced I was going to pass is if people I knew were on the board. You got Shelly and Paula there. <laughs> you know, I don't think Shelly would pass you. She would. No, if like Jennifer Workman and, and like somebody from Impact was there, they would pass me. <laughs> you know I mean? Someone who really likes you but wants you to study. I think so, they would want you to study. But I always like to say I don't I don't really I learned counseling from what works, not from a book. I learned it there's an intuition that you have if you open yourself up to it, an attunement to what's going on. And I just I just I don't ever say the same thing to this to any different person. I just like, you know, I just kind of zero in on like what I know about them. That's my favorite thing when someone goes, "What was that you said earlier?" And I'm like, I, I, I don't have know no idea. idea because I was riffing based on what I'm hearing from you, and my brain just shot something out that I might have heard somewhere else because I don't know. I'm not making stuff up, but it's stuff that's been effective, and there is no cookie cutter answer for all that stuff, and that that scares me when people. Uh, Think yeah, is. now and nowadays, I always I always did defer that you should probably be in. See, in the old days, you were an inpatient for thirty days minimum, right? You would extend inpatient stay at Los Encinas Hospital to sixty days if it was a real problem, you know, real complicated person, right? Most people came thirty days inpatient and sixty days outpatient. No one who went through there didn't do that. Right, because Dr. Drew's the one recommending it, and it's all in network, so it's not a matter of you're going to get kicked out because your insurance isn't going to pay. It was like we were making $150 a day from IOP. You think they're not going to pay for it? Now places are making $2,000 a day. You know what I mean? But we did IOP, and everyone who stayed in the IOP program, now you got 90 days. 
and we'd have a coining out thing in 90 days and it's a big deal and we were measuring their involvement in the 12-step community right and their family system because everyone who came to our treatment center lived in Los Angeles. They lived in San Marino and Pasadena and Hollywood and West LA. Right. So they're going so back their family the yeah, they yeah. would come here come to us. The families would come to us. We had family group once a week. All the families showed up. That's real treatment. But I always say, you know, I'm not the I'm not the smartest counselor. I'm not the I'm not the most uh, understanding of the core functions and all the stuff you're supposed to know. But I know how to hang in there with a client and I know how to trust that that what I believe will help will help right right you know there are a few people doing doing some good work but there are so few and far between and you have to know people that have gone through you have to see I mean what 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 does the place look like do they have um, um, you know a big thing is uh, alumni groups I mean, are there people that are successful that stay in the area that keep showing up on that once a week to be a part of what's going on? I know PRC has a big a yeah, yeah. thing. You know, and that's part of being part of the community, you know, and, and having people stick around and be a part of something. Uh, it, there's so much that doesn't happen in so many places and the, the way they pedal them off. And the, the really scary part was one of the guys that was running one of the places actually got, they actually busted him gave him a 27 year sentence because he was giving heroin to the clients so that they could relapse and he can put them back in a detox and charge them for detox was that the rehab or the broker no it was a guy it was a guy that was running one of the rehabs and they had his they had his picture up and they said this guy was sentenced to 27 years for his wow for his stuff so actually, that's usually broker stuff yeah but- no he was he was involved with the with the, the place where they showed this strip mall and they said this place has gone under three names in the last, well, since January, it's been under like three names. Yeah. Or since December. So, I mean, that's six months. Every couple months, it's changing names. You know, part of me, part of me just thinks, you know, everybody who works, most of the counselors I've met, now there's not a lot of counselors that work in treatment anymore. That's another weird thing. It's all marriage and family therapists that aren't even sober. Right? Well, so, so, but if they, if you can find a good addict who cares, who's who's doing the deal themselves, and latch on to them, you know that's that's a magical thing that happens. I believe in counselors. I don't necessarily believe in this modern version of treatment, right? But I believe you find somebody to look up to, right? I don't mind if people want to look up to me. I don't mind. I looked up to people. I'm old now. I'm 21 years sober. I guess you've got to take the responsibility of being, a, being an example, right? But if I'm a con artist, if I'm just trying to be a millionaire, if I'm a fucking idiot, you know, giving heroin away, that's such a sin to your soul as a sober person, as a as a human being. No, it's, it's really disturbing. That was really disturbing. I don't like to think that anybody that does what I do would even consider that, but I, I know they do. I mean, I sit and I talk with the people I work with, and it's just the things we go without, the things we don't have, the things that we, because we love these people, even though, they're really not lovable. We, 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 we do what we do because we care. And at the end of the day, you know, we, we pay the price in a lot of different ways. I can't imagine. It's just so, there's such easy pickings. There's such easy targets. 
They're such willing victims, addicts. I'm not saying that treatment is all evil, but ask questions, mm -hmm. right? How many licensed professionals you got working there? Can I see their, uh, their, uh, their accreditations? Right. Do you have JACO, right? Right. Jayco is the biggest deal in the world. J H A C O, correct? Jayco, J H A C O. Jayco is the Joint Commission of Hospitals. Right. I, Most I've only seen it as the Joint Commission. Joint Joint Commissions. Most of these for-profit ones don't have it. If they do, they paid somebody to get it. Oh, it's it's rough. It's it's rough to hold on to too. It's really rough yeah, to hold on it's, to. That's what so we struggle with, but it's important. And Jayco requirements requires that you have licensed professionals. There's a due diligence. There's so you can ask questions of the fancy rehabs, but in fact. I think it's better to go in your own community to a nonprofit. That's just my thing. But I I can talk this way, have, being a part of two treatment centers in Southern California, because I know the customer is always right, and they want to come to California. So if they're going to come to California, they should come to Aloe or Southern California Addiction Centers. <laughs> you know, and that, you know, and for the most part, I know I don't, don't want to say their name because I know some people do come through. It's and it's a not for profit that's in Orange County that actually does really bad work. My older kid went through there, so they're not all... Is it the one that went out of business, Pat Moore? No. Pat Moore went out of business. Yeah, well, that, that, was, that was an odd business to begin with. That was a good place to send people for three-day behaviorals. You know, when, when, they, when they get out of line, you go, you know what, you're going to Pat Moore. <laughs> a lot of people at home don't know what we're talking about. But... I'm I'm truly in to get treatment in your community, and and if you you know, and there's all these ideas that oh, there's no treatment. I know a fucking ton of treatment all across the United States. My friend Charles, who has this this nonprofit in uh, in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, it's called the Dilworth Center. Amazing place, fucking amazing, right? Just really what Los Encinas used to be is in Charlotte, North Carolina. So every time I have a, a North Carolina client come out here that's been flown out by some fly-by-night bullshit in Orange County, and then they eventually end up with me, I go, dude, you ever heard of the Dilworth Center? And they're like, uh -huh. no, no, they <laughs> no, haven't. No. No, because they get their information from the Internet. Right. Right? I they get their they information from yeah. television commercials. That's what they think treatment is. It's on a television commercial. Or it's on the internet when you Google heroin addiction or treatment. No. Ask in your community. Ask a social worker. Ask a doctor. Ask a psychiatrist. Hey, where is there a good drug treatment center around here? They all know the Dilworth Center in Charlotte. You know what I mean? But nobody looks. They just go to the internet, and the next thing you know, they got an airline ticket to Palm Beach, Florida. <laughs> yeah, woo! It's like going on the prices right or something. But so you know, and I I love the subject of treatment. I want treatment. I I don't I I don't really hate Sovereign. I know a lot of people hate all these people. They're just in it for the money. That's okay. There's a lot of people in real estate for the money. We don't frown on them. Flipping houses and, you know, do the people really care about a house to live in? No. <laughs> they remodel it to sell it to some dumbass and make $100,000 in four months. Right. And nobody frowns on that. No. So if somebody wants to have sovereign health to make a million dollars a month or whatever, God bless them. But I wouldn't send my kid there. You know what I'm saying? I, I do. 
So I, I don't want to get into it. I'm just saying, listen, you want good treatment? It's out there. It's even if you get really excellent treatment, say you send your kid out here for two months, be somewhere where I'm working or you're working, right? They're still going to have to go back home. I, I don't buy this stay in L.A. shit. We got enough criminals in L.A. We don't need <laughs> all the criminals from all over the United States. Yeah, we'll end up like Florida. <laughs> Florida's a mess, man. I just watched that show. It made me sad for Florida. You were really affected by this yeah, TV show, right? it really was. So I know I go on rants, and, and it's very difficult right um i just want to say how this all happened how so many rehabs ended up opening how so many hundreds of thousands of americans who could never go to drug and alcohol treatment ended up there it's for two simple reasons one's called the parity act it was it was in it was a bill that uh, that uh congressman patrick kennedy had since i believe the mid-1990s and it didn't pass, and it came up, and he couldn't get somebody to co-sign the bill with him. And I don't know if you know much about how how laws get enacted, but anyways, it was a bill called the Parity Act. And in the late mid nineteen uh, mid two thousands, under Obama, there was fertile soil to start seeing. And all the law says is that mental health issues and drug and alcohol dependency and alcoholism are equal to cancer and diabetes and other diseases. That's all the law says. So that, you know, that makes sense, it seems to me. And it seemed to everyone in 2005 and 2006 and 2007 who was fighting for it, which is me and Harold Owens at Music Cares and a lot of my friends, like, yes, they're equal. It is an equal disease. And so the Parity Act got passed. But the, and the idea is once a law is enacted, then the insurance companies have to pay for that that disease to be treated right so but they didn't pay when the uh, parity act passed they just decided still as for decades before they're not going to pay for alcohol treatment or if they do it's a minimal uh, amount of payment they'll give so then when obamacare was upheld to the supreme court that's when insurance started paying for treatment and that opened up all these treatment centers right which sounds like a good thing on paper like, there's so much alcoholism and drug addiction in America. Our prisons are filled with drug addicts and mentally ill people. Our jails are filled with drug addicts and mentally ill people. Um, our society is riddled with alcoholics and, and people with drug and alcohol problems and mental health issues. I always say there's not really a homeless problem. There's, there's a mental health problem, a treatment of mental health and alcoholism problem. So... So they, so they start paying. The insurance companies start paying and all of these treatment centers open up. And so I th I'm thinking, this is the greatest thing ever. All these people are going to have access to great care and, and everything's going to be wonderful. And it was a naive attitude to have. You know, and I, it, I hate when I'm stupid and I, I've been stupid over this. And that is that, you know, not everybody is going to uh, go to treatment and take real kindly to being sober and, and live happily ever after. And that's what's happened is this, you know, these, these kind of confusing motivations to go to treatment. So I work in two treatment centers, Aloe Treatment Centers in Malibu place i founded with my two friends evan and jared they're the sponsors of this podcast um it's a great place 
it's it's about as high quality in America as you can get. It's it's you know just basically take Hazelden or Betty Ford Center and kind of 21st century it and put it in Malibu and it, it's excellent care and it works for adults at a very high success rate meaning adults who have a house and a car and family and responsibilities and know how life works it works like I you know I don't have statistical data but it works phenomenally for grown adults for young people nothing really works and so the motivation that people have because they have an insurance card and they can go to treatment um nobody's doing a very good job at it because the motivation isn't to get well from drug and alcohol treatment or mental health issues it's just a kind of escape from life for a while and that's what frustrates Chuck, and that's what frustrates me, and that's what frustrates so many people. That's what frustrates the parents, the parents who are seeing their 20-year-old child go into treatment, um, think, oh my God, finally he's getting help, or she's getting help, and everything's going to be okay. And then 30 days, 60 days, 90 days later, you're in the same spot. And this repeats over and over again now for years. And so people are starting to say treatment doesn't work. Treatment does work. It works for grown adults. But for 20-year-old kind of lacking in motivation drug addicts, it doesn't work so good for. So hopefully we'll have a better model come up sooner or later. And that's all, you know, and I work in Temecula where there's a more, it's a, it's a more, you know, hardcore version of things, right? even though it's a nice house and beautiful people and everything's very different than it was in the 1980s or 1990s for drug treatment, it's still, you can be pretty direct in Temecula. <laughs> but so I'm trying it both ways and it's still not very effective for young people and it's so frustrating. And so it always gets back to, I'm the one that thought if drug addicts had access to high quality care, problem solved. And like so many things in life, it, it, you, you fight for that, you get that, you enact that, you put it into operations, and it doesn't work very good. It's the same as SpaceX trying to make rockets that crash and burn. And so we got to figure out what will help millennials get sober. That's all I really care about. And you got to watch them and listen to them and see what works and see what doesn't work. And what seems to work is a pathway to autonomy, a pathway to live in their own lives the way they want to live them. So I'm hoping to figure that out in the next couple of years. <laughs> no, but all my friends have rehabs. My friend Paul has a rehab, Bel Air, and, and, uh, and you know, he's a great guy. Warren's got a great place where Warren's you work. A good guy. Uh, Aaron's got a couple places, Darren at Pillars. These are my friends, and I'm glad that, you know, they make some money and do some good. But, you know, I think if it all changed, we would all still be in the business. I know, I know we would. I know everyone I just mentioned would still be doing this if insurance didn't cover treatment. Because right. you know why? Me, Warren, and Aaron were doing it before there was insurance covering treatment. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. No, no, absolutely. No, I, I know that. It's, it's life. It's a lifestyle for the, the people I know. that it, it's, it's the way we live. It, and it's on the clock, and it's off the clock, and it's at home, and it's relatives, and it's friends, and it's 
all you know what I can be honest with all those all guys? I talk to all those guys about what they think and Dr. Drew and what we really think is it takes about a year for the kid to land. So if you could keep the kid on a continual path of sobriety for a year, then maybe they would wake up and want to be sober, right? Parents need to know that too. That's what the insiders are saying. If we could keep them for six months where they just went to meetings and ate food and, you know, talked honestly about how, how wanting to use or not wanting to use or whatever, just keep them safe and contained in a continual community that people would then, once their brains kind of unscrambled at a year sober, maybe then they would want to be sober, right? But, you know, you're not going to have that. Nobody's going to stay in treatment a year straight. Yeah, but, you know, the, but the idea of, of sticking around, I do see I, I do see a lot of them that, you know, this thing that you used to talk about, uh, that you brought up a while back, about having the um, case managers that, that people see, you know, once a week. Yeah, twice a big, week. big, big, important I component. I, I really like that, especially for people that have had multiple treatment episodes. If you've had 20 treatment episodes, there's not a lot of sense in doing another treatment episode. You know, it's, but to have somebody kind of hold you accountable in, in a way that you're familiar. I mean, that's it. We're I mean, obviously, we're not saying stay in treatment for a year. You're saying stay, stay in sober living for 11 months. Right. Here, here's the, the successes you know. My successes, because your son was living with me through all that. Ryan, right? Was the first house manager. Right. He's two years sober now, right? He lived in sober living for like 16 months. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. For a long fucking time. So... So when you see millennials turn it around, it is over that long haul. You have to remain abstinent. You have to remain conne connected, right? Right. Well. And somehow something shifts where they start to understand. And it's, almost, it's almost like the time comes in at the other side of it. Because it seemed like I was out there, you know, messing things up a lot longer so when I finally came to that final treatment episode, I was ready. Whereas it seems like they're not spending as much time out there, so it takes them longer in treatment to be able to be where I was. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, they're not. They're not big. big. I was was tired and willing, but even the younger guys that I that I talk to, the, that I work with, are just like, you know, why aren't these people more grateful just to have a place? And they're millennials too. They're like, well, I don't understand these people. You know, I, you know, these people are just in a different place. It's going to take them a while. If they come around at all, it's going to take them a while to get to where you were. So my story is different. I didn't have a place to live from, really from like 19 to like 23. It was always haphazard. Crazy, crazy. Mm -hmm. Like living with three roommates in a one-bedroom apartment, staying at a girl's house, staying, uh, renting an office space on Hollywood Boulevard, living in it for $99 a month, <laughs> taking, washing my butt in the sink of the office building. Nice. <laughs> it was gross. It was so, so, classy. Uh, so, but then when I was like 24 is when music kicked in and I started to have a life, right? I had been living in my car, living at friends' houses, living with three room, two roommates in a one-bedroom apartment, living in an office space, suffering for years and years, right? Mm -hmm. I, you know, an old drug dealer named 
earth earache earthquake you ever heard of him he's a very famous drug dealer six six foot seven meth heroin dealer uh had keep on sucking tattooed on his stomach (laughs) quake we used to call him he was my roommate i got a little single apartment couldn't make the rent. I said, Quake, you want to move into my apartment? I went and bought this bamboo stuff at Home Depot and divided the room in half. And he had half and I had half. Right? Nice. When you live like that and then start to have a life, you appreciate life. Right. Exactly. Right? The, when you go from your parents' house to a cushy rehab... It's even nicer than your parents' house. And then you're supposed to transition into the single apartment with a roommate with the bamboo across the middle <laughs> yeah, of the or, room. Or two or three roommates. <laughs> we all, yeah. It's not, it's not going to work. No, but it was, better, it, was, it was better than being in a car. It was better than, you know, sleeping at the park or trying to sleep at the beach. I slept or, at the park. Or, or staying awake all night and sleeping during the day because it's safer. It's... It, you know, when you come from that and when you've done that for years or when you've been trying to get into people's houses or whatever it took, whatever it took to find a place to be, to be able to yeah, just, I just have don't, a place I think it has so to nice. go on. I think it had to go on for years and years. Literally from 1980 to 84, that's how I lived. 85 is when things started to turn around, 84, 85. So for four years... I would sleep on my friend Tree's couch, and then I had to be out because he has to leave, and I'd Tree. have my dog, Tree, his name was, right? <laughs> I had my dog, Ornette, and I'd have to go somewhere, and he lived right behind the senior center where the 12-step meeting is at Highland and Franklin, and I would just walk around the corner, and I'd just sit in the park all day with my dog, right? And my dog's name was Ornette after Ornette Coleman, and my dog went running over to this other guy that was sleeping in the park, and I said, Ornette, Ornette, come here. And the guy sat up and goes, what'd you call that dog? And I said, Ornette. And then, you know, it was a little pit bull puppy and it came running back to me. And he goes, he goes, after Ornette Coleman? And I said, yeah, 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 I love Ornette Coleman. He goes, my name's David Cherry. I'm Don Cherry's son. And we had a lifelong friendship (laughs) from we were both sleeping in the park. (laughs) Right? He's a trumpet player in Ornette Coleman's band. And he's turned his life around. He was was highfalutin, high-flying. So, so I'm talking about this is this is my life. This is what these kids should be doing. They should mm-hmm. be meeting other friends in the park and having a lifelong friendship. <laughs> they shouldn't be going from rehab to rehab to rehab. They're not suffering enough to understand that you want to stop doing drugs because drugs causes suffering and get sober. Right? Right. And I think that's why it takes so long once they get to treatment because they're getting there so fast. No, they're going from their parents' nice house to the rehab house. There's no in-between. There's maybe a month in-between or two months in-between. There's, you need two or three or four years in-between. Do you understand what I'm saying? Right, but that's what we're, that's where we've been before, talking to the parents. Well, but we've got to get them to not die in that two or three or four years. True that. Right? No benzos, no opiates mixed. Be careful with the fentanyl heroin. Be careful with the heroin in general. They up the morphine content. They up the, the potency, the, the, the percentage of morphine in it to satisfy mm-hmm. your freaky oxycotton brain. Right? Absolutely. You got to be careful, careful, careful. I mean, here's another thing. This kid that died smoking it, right? 
I, I, I would always return back to use after getting out of rehab and I would smoke it. And if it would run really pure and I got really high off a couple of puffs, I'd be like, oh, shit, that's good. Good, good. The idea that I don't need to finish that until later. Like, I'm feeling high out of my mind right now. That's What makes kids just go till they stop breathing? That's, that's what I think is it, it probably wasn't more than, you know, one good hit and what somebody thought would be safe. And that's, that's what's scary is that you... Could, I don't believe that. There's I, not, I don't there's, know. It's got to be fentanyl then. It's not heroin. It's got to be. It's got to be fentanyl. It has to be. Well... You're right. You know... I agree. That's crazy. That, it, that fentanyl is just so easily available. It, it, it appear, appears to be. I mean, I'd like to... Hey, if you're a drug addict using and you listen to this podcast, will you tell us what's going on in the streets? I might have to go down to Santa Ana and ask some questions. That's not a bad idea. Let's go. Let's do a podcast live from the spot. <laughs> Get out. Well, you know what? We could go. Well, no, you can't. You just moved them out of the river trail, but the river trail housing is pretty alive. Is there dope over there? Oh, yeah. I thought it was in Santa Ana. It is, but it's also all over the river trail. I don't even know. You know, when I wanted to relapse at four and a half years sober, I didn't even know where to score it. <laughs> a, oh, home, a Home Depot was where the spot used to probably be. Probably Starbucks. <laughs> I know Craigslist for sure. Craigslist, yeah. Black Tar Roofing Company. Oh, my God. When when I found out that Carrie Fisher was doing heroin again, yeah. I was like, I was like, it really hit me, Chuck. I don't think I got the balls to do heroin again. I don't think I do. I I just can't imagine. Like, I guess it's a slippery slope and it starts with pills and it leads to that. But I just can't imagine doing heroin again. What and let me tell you gift. this. What an amazing what a, gift like, And let me tell you this. For years using and years sober, I couldn't imagine not doing heroin again. That is what's possible. To go from a person who can't imagine not using heroin again. All the way up until I probably had eight years of sobriety, I was always like, I hope I get cancer so I can use. (laughs) 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 And to when it just hit me, when that news came out about Carrie, like, God, I I can't imagine it. I I can't imagine it. And so I hope that, that if you're struggling or you have a kid struggling... Let's keep them alive long enough till they can't imagine doing it again. And we'll leave you with that. I like that a lot. Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die podcast. Got 100 people a day dying of drug overdoses, and it's got to stop. Allo Treatment Centers wants it to stop. We want people to get educated about drugs, about treatment. We want you to learn, laugh, and live. But first and foremost, don't die. You can get a hold of Allo Treatment Centers at 888 595 0235